to the My Love of Golf podcast, which is our US Open preview. And as we discussed last week, we said that we would try and do it a little bit differently, maybe take our uh, game to the next level, because that's what's required at the US Open Rocket. So a bit of housekeeping. Um, we are recording this, obviously, audio, via audio, but we are recording it via camera as well. Young Lockie's uh, set us up there, and we've got what, one, two, three, four cameras going here. So I'm a little bit nervous by that, but um, we should be able to churn out a little bit of video and hopefully uh, for those of you that have fallen in love with the rocket, <laughs> you can now see him in the flesh. <laughs> Here he is. So this is uh, Rocket's big introduction to uh, the podcast listeners in the flesh and as we always say, people love hearing from the rocket. So um, the cameras, they're on. The one that I'm looking to right now is our first ever attempt at a Facebook Live. So we are doing Facebook Live and making some video and recording this podcast. So before we get into the US Open preview, I just want to say a very special thank you. And uh, for those of you that can see on the camera, I'm now holding up the the Walker's Tin product of Scotland. Okay, show, show this camera. Sorry, there's an interruption from the technical crew. <laughs> As I said, this is a four-camera shoot we've got going on here. So product of Scotland, well, it's actually a product of Port Arthur, Tasmania, but beautifully packaged in a Walker's Scottish shortbread box from Mar Rocket. Mar Rocket, thank you very much for sending over the shortbreads. I love anything Scottish. Scottish golf and Scottish shortbread. I'll even eat haggis. And what else can I can I talk about that I love from Scotland? I love Scottish people. I'm married to one of them. Hello, darling. Uh, so I did say that I would break my month-long sweet treat hiatus when Mar Rocket delivered the shortbreads. So Mar Rocket, if you go Rocket, how you go, mate? There you go, mate. You take one of those. Grandmother, great grandmother's great, recipe. Great grandmother's uh, uh, recipe. Grandmother Taylor. Uh, we've got the cup of uh, peppermint T2 here, T2T here. Mm, not a plug. Never thought I'd eat on a podcast live. That's very rude of me, but these are delicious. So, Mar Rocket, thank you for the uh, shortbreads. And we might be onto something because subsequent to last week's podcast, Mike Cockings contacted us and may be interested in acquiring some um, shortbreads from Mar Rocket down in Port Arthur, Tasmania, where I uh, has it. He stayed there. He's, yes, Stewart's Bay. So, nice little bit of linkage. The order is already in. The, order, the order's in for the shortbreads. He thought I was joking. I do pay my debts, like the Lannisters, except in the last episode. Mate, it's not much so much of a debt. I think it's more of a bribe to try and get him, <laughs> yeah. get Mike, Mike Cocking to come yes. and talk to us. But it was a unanimous vote on uh, on Twitter. The the voting poll that I put up on Twitter it was unanimous, hundred percent for the uh, shortbreads, not the kiss biscuits. <laughs> anyway, enough of the um, enough of that. Thank you, Mar Rocket. They will come home um, with us and uh, 
give us something to break the sweet treat hiatus on. Thank you. So, mate, it's a short turnaround for us to get this podcast up and running. It was only, what, last Wednesday that we talked last time and conceived this idea of getting together in not the mobile podcast studio. I know, you know, if you listen to this, you'll be surprised that I'm not sitting in a car somewhere in a back street of Melbourne uh, recording Rocket via the uh, the radio. But uh, you might think that we're in actually the, the Golf Channel studios here. Pebble Beach in the background. Uh, what hole is that, mate? You're the expert here. Seven. Seven hole. Seventh hole, the little short par three down, um, elevated to It's about 100 metres, 95 metres. Really classic little hole. They probably you know, hit a little gap wedge there, 54 or whatever they're hitting. But we've got that in the background there because we're in the big swing studios tonight uh, broadcasting from one of the full swing golf simulators. So after the podcast, Rocket and I are going to um, – have a little look at the holes that will either make or break the players in the US Open. And we might have a little challenge. We might play them. Rocket hasn't played golf for a little while, but uh, he's going to take us through the holes. And uh, we'll put that on a video as well. So we're trying to bring something, biting off way more than we can chew. But uh, it's a bit of fun and a bit of trial and error. And uh, who knows where this might lead. So, mate, what's the week in golf been for you? Uh, aside from just the other events that have been the lead into the US Open, so we had the Canadian Open. Um, the RBC? Yeah, RBC. So the RBC had all their all their players there pretty much. Um, and it was won by McElroy in a bit of a canter actually. So absolutely blistered in the, in the final round. So he was leading going into the weekend and I think he ended up winning by about five or six. So I wasn't paying too much attention to the score. Um, but what did he, what did he shoot in the final round? Uh, 62, 62, 61, might've been 61. I can't remember the par there, but he shot nine under in the last round. Where, where, where does he pull that sort of form from? I don't know. He must've tapped into his, um, players championship form or something like that Yeah, right. because he's been quite erratic. You know, we had the players and he led into the masters and we had all this, you know, I had him as one of my picks going in the masters and yeah. he's kind of disappeared. Yep. You know, since then, and all of a sudden he's come into this. He really hasn't done too much. He's sort of been thereabouts, and all of a sudden, come weekend, he's sort of in the mix, has a monster weekend, and wins it in a bit of a canter. It was a phenomenal performance, and I had it on the TV most of the day. And I haven't watched the hole by hole, but every time I, you know, had a look, he was just bombing something, you know, three hundred plus middle of the fairway. A couple of times he missed the rough putting. Really well with the Spider Torex putter. Looked pretty good. Well, it would be interesting because those greens there, they're polar greens at Hamilton, which they played for the first time. Yep. Um, the rough was quite thick in some. Um, I saw Cooch trying to hit just a lob wedge out of – it was about a foot and a half off the fairway on 10 on Saturday. And he almost had to like swing, a, swing it like a baseball bat and it just went nowhere. So – it might have been a bit of a tune-up for some players. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, don't know. I think I'm still jaded after Rory's form going into the Masters. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I could pick him or anything like that. So you're not <laughs> going to rip around the corner here to Elizabeth Street and drop fifty on him? No. Right. No. Okay. All right. So let's keep talking about the RBC. Um, couple of my guys. You know I love the Irish boys, Northern Irish, the Irish boys. I don't care what part of that beautiful country they come from. 
Shane Lowry. I talked about Shane going into the USPGA as someone who's had decent form and one to look out for and played pretty well. Well, see, the interesting <clears throat> thing with um, him being Irish and the USPGA being played before the US Open, it probably really threw him because it probably would have meant being Irish it's probably in a logical manner. Sorry, no disrespect. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting to see that he's in a bit of form because he... You still haven't got it past you, the PGA and the US <laughs> no, Open. I can't. I, I, it's, it does my head in. It still does my head in. doesn't feel right. Um, so it'd be really interesting with him is that he has a tendency to appear in the US Open. So, you know, Oakmont, he was right in, the, in amongst it. Um, even at uh, Shinnecock, he was thereabouts. So there's something about his game that he kind of just does bring to to the US Open. So him hitting form, um, you know, might have a few of the betting people out there. They might be getting really interested um, in his form going into there. So whether or not he's going to win, but he's probably going to contend because hmm. he really hasn't been in form for most of the year, yeah. but he's probably just sort of struck it at the, at the right time. And then the other man. My other man, you know. I listened to his uh, interview with, um, uh, what's her name, Michelle Balionis. And GMAC, I know you're not listening to the podcast, but the accent, man, yeah, he's, he's got to get his Irish is it, is it nearly gone, is it? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very Florid, Floridian or whatever part of America that it is. It's all that time he spends behind the bar behind down, the at bar, his, uh, down at his, pour, um, his restaurant. Pouring Guinnesses at the uh, <laughs> Nona Blue. But uh, the GMAC secured his place in the Open, which is up in his home turf at uh, Royal Port Rush. The putt on the last. Oh putt on the God. last, a 30-foot draino time. Um, so it's great to see GMAC qualify for the Open because, you know, he's, he's playing at La Hinch in the Irish Open. And uh, for him to secure his spot because he's been sort of there, you know, not really there and he had to work pretty hard to get it. So um, good on you, GMAC. Well, he's been um, – so he won the um, – was the the crossover event opposite the WGC mm-hmm. um, down in Dominican Republic? I think yep. it was. So he won that. Yep. Um, he sort of hasn't done too much since then, but he's lifted. You know, he's trying to. You know, it's one of his last opportunities to qualify um, for the for the Open without having to go through you know pre qualifying and stuff like that. Yep. And he's taken the opportunity, and then also then. He's coming back to the site of his uh, US Open victory in 2010. Yeah. Who knows? It all goes well for the GMAC and uh, I love you, mate. Um, Northern Irish accent or Northern, no Northern Irish accent, mate, but uh, we love you and uh, putting putting well. I forget the name of the coach that he went to at the start of the year, but I think that was one of the, the uh, keys to his success this weekend. His putting game was back on track. And that was the part of his game that secured him his first major at the US Open at Pebble Beach, you know, however many years ago it was. So good luck, GMAC. Uh, RBC, what else? Any other notables? Brooks? Oh, it's just, just a tune-up. It was just a tune-up. I think yep. he only he, he didn't really do much over the weekend. He shot like even par in the first round, two under in the second, just scraped in on the cut line and pretty much just did nothing over the weekend. I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. It's it's like for him, it's like instead of hitting balls, like practice balls at a range, he's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go play 72 holes. Right. Okay. So RBC, what else? What else have you got from the RBC download? Um, 
Oh, not much else. Cooch was there. I don't like Cooch. Still top of the FedEx. No, no. Still top of the FedEx. Still top of the FedEx. Who cares? The FedEx Cup. Okay. Oh. Did he do anything? You know, Cooch watches on there. Is, is his, no. Um, his PR police been out and about anything there tonight? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they have been speaking to Sergio's team, seeing as Sergio's team probably are not um, – they're probably not required at the moment um, okay. with um, Cooch and Shambo. You know, <laughs> Taking the spotlight away from Sergio, so oh, his dear. team might be uh, outsourcing their their uh, responsibilities or their abilities to the cooch and um, the fake physicist. Now, the ladies, we we spent a fair bit of time last week talking about the ladies and the young lady who finished second. Who, once again, I think you know history would show that over the journey in recent times, she probably hasn't been delivering to what we all expected of Lexi Thompson, but she got the win. Yeah, this week the Shoprite um, tournament. Um, I don't even don't even know where it was played. I was just paying attention to just some of the scores. Yeah, so she's actually um, yeah continued on with the form from the US Open, and I think she won by a couple in the Shoprite, which is good. And you're right, you know, it's her talent. Well, I still think about she played. She's 24 and she played the US Open last week, and it was like I think it's the 10th time she's played it. Yeah. She seems like she's been around forever. Oh, goodness. So good luck, Lexi. Well done. Um, you deserve all your credit and keep working hard because, you know, she's a, she's a hard worker. Um, so uh, while we're talking about the girls, segue from golf for a second. Ash Barty, congratulations to you on the uh, win in the French, French Open. That's phenomenal. Uh, it's something that tennis in Australia needs, something that the country needs, you know, to have a have a open champion back on the big stage and bringing the spotlight to Australian sport once again. Uh, it, was, it was sensational to see. And Well, the telltale, so the semifinal, um, you think she's come out in the semifinal against the young, girl, young, young American girl or Russian expat who's going to be an absolute world beater. She will be a multi-time major champion winner. She's a gun. So Ash Barty's played her. She's she's five nil up mm. in the first set. She's got her on a break, fifteen forty. It's about to take the first set. Loses that game. Loses another five games in a row. Holds holds on to force a tie break. Loses the tie break. So you think about where she's come from. And at no stage did she throw a chair. Mm. And then she comes back to win that in three. Like. That's phenomenal. It was a phenomenal effort and uh, great to see the young lady so happy and pumped and big things. Another one that seems like she's been around forever. Not forever. Not forever well, but, she yeah. has, but don't forget she also um, she took two years out of the game and went and played cricket. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because she was always a doubles, you know, was a yeah. perennial doubles sort of winner yep. and, and partner for a lot of the girls. won know, a lot of the majors. So there's only one of the majors she hasn't won as a doubles player. Yeah. Um, so she's, yeah, she cut her teeth as a doubles player. Um, but I think her even playing, going play cricket was her just going. I need a break yeah. from tennis, the grind of tennis, because it'd be quite lonely, and it'd be quite hard. Oh, and playing on any tour, yeah, but that's a global tour. You know, it's not just it's not just you know, Europe dominate dominant or America dominant. It's global. So yep. you know, you're China to you know Poland to the States to France to wherever. Yep. So yeah, it's a big big thing. Andy Murray, you know, took, took, took his toll on our boy Andy. So, mate, um, 
preview for the US Open. So we've got two things. We've got field, quality, and course. One of your favorites. Where do you want me to start? Let's talk about the field. Let's talk about who you think is going to be in contention come Sunday, Monday morning our time. Brooks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> do you want to have to think? Do you want to have to think about that? No. Right. He's going for the three peat. Okay. He's going for the three peat. I can't see why he wouldn't be there at the end. I'm going to talk about the course. So it's <clears throat> the course is it's not long. Like by major championship standards, mm -hmm. it's not long. It's not going to suit a bomber, mm -hmm. but he has more. He's more than just a drive and gouge guy, and we've seen that. We've seen yeah. it at Shinnecock. Yeah. Um, we saw it at Bell Reef. We saw it at um, where they last play, Beth Page. He he's still probably one of the longest, straightest drivers of the golf ball. So even if he's not hitting a driver, but even if he does hit a driver, he's going to have an advantage because he's going to hit it straighter than most people. And then his iron play in the rest of his game, he's he's going to put himself in a position where he just needs his putter to stay warm. Doesn't need to be hot. It just needs to be warm for the whole week. And he will be right there at the end. Okay. So if you're tipping that's going to be a Brooks show again, who are the contenders? Um, the other, <coughs> you know, to put who are going to put me there at the end, pushing along. I, Maybe. So DJ will be one yep. again. Yep. He's still in good form. Uh, I actually think Adam Scott. Adam Scott's been in some – he has been – if it's not – again, he's putter. If it's not – this is probably one of the few courses where he could probably get away with not putting great because they're not going to run the greens as fast as they normally would in the US Open. So and if the course is going to be a little bit soft – I don't think it'll be completely soft, but it'll run a bit slower. This might give him one of those chances to be there at the end because T to Green, he's still he's in amazing form at the moment. Um, then you have the likes of still Kucher and those guys are, are thereabouts. Mm -hmm. um, Rory, maybe he might contend and fade or something at the on the weekend. Uh, Tiger, strangely enough, as as much as I say, Tiger's doesn't hit his driver anywhere like he used to, he doesn't need to on this course, sort of like Augusta. doesn't need to be straight. Mm. So he can get away with stingers with three woods and two irons because a lot of the longer holes, um, a lot of them are running sort of downhill. So he's not really having to clamour for distance. So his ball striking and short game is going to be paramount. So that's where he's going to really come into his own. They would probably be the major sort of notables um, only other players I could think of from more of the European side. Also, we talked about Rory, we talked about Shane. I think Pultz could be the kind of guy. What? Yep. yep. My boy Pultz. Yep. I reckon Leave he. Out. Uh, I, I reckon. I reckon he could contend here. Yeah, okay. I'd like to see that. I reckon he could contend here. His mind's free. His biggest decision is which car he's going to turn up in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Beautiful. He's, I think he's just got a, a new one. He's been over in back home in UK preparing mm. with the had the family over there. So I think he's going to be 
I saw he had, he had a barbecue the other night at his car broker's place and yes, uh, yes. I don't know if you saw the, the pan around of the video, but uh, this particular chap who, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment has about 45. Tom Hartley Jr. Tom Hartley Jr., there you go. Once again, Rocket bringing value. Um, Tom Hartley Jr. has got about 45 exotic supercars. Most of them Ferraris, Porsches, what, what, Lambos. What appears to be in his living room. Yeah. Like he's, they're cooking a barbecue in the kitchen it's awesome. and then you pan around and there's 40 cars there. It was unbelievable. Yep. So Pultz is rolling on another platitude, another, <laughs> another stratosphere in terms of where his head's at. So Pultz, play well. Good luck to you. Go the Gunners. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, they're, they're the main ones. I can't – out of my notes, you know, I really can't see anyone else um, that is the notables that are. I think that will be contending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they'd be the ones. So – not many of us have had the opportunity to go to Pebble Beach. I certainly haven't. And, you know, from what I can see of the people that listen to the My Love of Golf podcast, only a few in California. Welcome if you are listening from California <laughs> and welcome back to the people in Maryland, New Jersey, um, New York and right. Connecticut. But most of our listeners are based in Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia. Tasmania. Tasmania. <laughs> yes, there, there are a lot of Tasmanians there. Um, your, your family? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Queensland. For those of us that haven't had the opportunity to go to Pebble Beach, let's not get to the course just yet, but, but what's it like as a destination? Unbelievable. How do you get there? How does one get to Pebble Beach? Uh, so how we made our way there. So we would fly into San Francisco because mm-hmm. um, anyone that's been through LAX, that's a, that's a hole. Um, so you avoid that. So you go into San Francisco and hire a car and drive on down. How far from San Francisco to? Uh, hour and mm-hmm. a half, hour, hour and, and a half, half drive. Okay, so it's closer to San Francisco than it is to LA. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So you you could have we could have gone in. You could go into LA and then fly into Monterey. So they've got a they've right. got a regional airport in yep. in Monterey. So you could have flown in that way. Yep. Um, but we we just fly into San Francisco because we're driving. So we just hire a car and. And chugged on down yeah. hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting when you've got off a fifteen-hour flight and you arrive at like eight eight a.m. You're quite jet lagged and you basically got a list of questions to um, keep keep giving to the driver. So we we stay awake on the drive down. It's, it's always been it's been quite fun. Oh, you had a driver? No, no, no it was oh, it right. was two of it. Oh, it was right. just the two of us. Sorry. And so oh, he doesn't trust me driving because he's. Done right. more driving in the US. I was going to so, say, if you had a driver, no, 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 because no. you know, we don't roll with the drivers. No, 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 no. We 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 were the yeah, we, okay, we were good, right, he, yeah. I was uh, yeah, I was riding shotgun, so I had all the list of questions. So it was, okay, just this. It's basically keep... an hour and a half of Q and A. Yep. Just so we could um, get there nice and safely. So what sort of town is is it? Mont- not, the town is Monterey. Yeah. Well, the yeah, we'll call it the areas. Yeah, Monterey. Yep. So you got the Del Monte Forest. Uh, you got Carmel, which is down a bit further. Yep. Um, it's just, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, so much so that um, in, in the line of work that I was doing, I nearly moved to our global head office, which was in San Jose, and we were going to actually base ourselves actually down in there. And then I was, because my role was not going to be just purely in one spot, I was going to do a fair bit of commuting. So for me, it would have been the perfect spot to base the family 
um, because of just schools, the lifestyle, everything. It was just it's it's amazing. Twice I've spent a week down there, and it's you just can't beat it. It's just amazing. So you're nearly going to move there, and it didn't happen. Correct. Oh, Any chance of getting back there, mate? Yes, maybe one day. Ooh, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> might might be an opportunity to hit rocket up for a game at Pebble Beach in the future. <laughs> anyway, Pebble Beach. So, how easy is it to get on as a as a as a punter? Let's call me a new punter. Oh, it's easy. It's just a it's just a public course. Yeah, okay. So you can go online um, to the Pebble Beach site. So they've got the combination of all the courses. So you've got Spyglass. Um, and Spanish Bay and Pebble. Um, the other courses that are in the area you book outside of that, so like Poppy Hills and places. But you can go on and you can just log online and find a spot. Mm-hmm. So we had to book, I think we booked something like five months in advance. Right. And we were lucky enough to get the first of uh, 6.45 tea time, the first time that opened it up. So we were first off the off the tea early in the morning but yeah that's it you just book it not cheap absolutely not cheap what sort of i don't call it a cost i call it an investment what sort of investment does one have to make to get a tea time at pebble uh it's 500 us that doesn't include caddy that's a lot of brass yep it's a good question this you know how much if you're listening to this and you want to communicate with us let us know how how much you'd be prepared to pay for a round of golf for a bucket list type experience because you know i talk to people on a daily basis as you know about golf and some are in the very firm camp of once in a lifetime no issues some are i'd rather have five rounds of golf on my holiday at maybe lesser known but equal quality courses as opposed to ticking off the bucket list I guess for you, obviously, it was just got it's got to be done. Just had to be done. Yeah. We see you see it on TV. Um, you watch the events like the AT and T that's played there. You watch all the US Opens that are played there, and you just have to. You just have to. It's sort of like the way I feel, and I, I I've never paid five hundred dollars for five hundred US dollars for a round of golf. I've done it twice. Uh, the most I've paid is around a golf at the old course, and that was probably about two hundred fifty dollars Australian. It was about one hundred and ten pounds at the time, so let's say it was two hundred bucks. I'll call that cheap. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd do it again in a in a heartbeat. But I remember distinctly feeling when I walked off the old course, and it was actually nearly dark. I just wanted to do it again. I was like, you know, I just wanted to go out and do it again and keep doing it until I couldn't do it anymore. But uh, is that how you felt? Yeah, so we would... Um, so you had the whole day. Yeah, like you, so, you so, played at 6.45 and yep. then you were finished by 10. Yeah. Yep. Oh, not quite. Yeah, we whatever. took our time. Yeah. So how my mate and I planned our trips, we would only play... Only once did we play more than um, 18 in, in the same day. We mm-hmm. only did it once because all the other times we we planned it out so we'd play early in the morning. So then we would be done by lunchtime. We sit down and we bait, we'll review, and decompress the round, yeah. the course, yeah. more specifically, yeah. Um, over lunch. 
and just whatever the outlook was. And then from there, we'd go back, say, to where we're staying. We'd stay at Spanish Bay. And that, that place is amazing. We'd go there. We'd just maybe go and have a dip in the pool, chill, and then go down to the Spike Bar, which is my, one of the most amazing bars you'll ever find on the planet. And that's what we did every day for like a week. Still paying off the line? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> That said, I haven't been able to go back for all the last few years. <laughs> so, um, all right. So what are the guys going to be faced with this week? Now, a lot of us have seen Pebble Beach and maybe you've even played Pebble Beach on the on a simulator-type environment, like the one we're sitting here from Full Swing Golf, courtesy of Big Swing Golf. Thank you very much for letting us use the uh, studio. It's a nice change from a cold Nissan Navara. Um <laughs> What are what are the guys going to face? You know, what are the holes that are going to be? You know, the the ones that sort the you know, the cream from the crop. Uh, well, first of all, the course. Uh, it is hard. Like, so if you go by rankings, so in from the best courses in the US, it's ranked number six, and rightly so. Then there's another ranking which they haven't done for a while and it was the toughest courses in the US and they do that through their slope rating and all these other things. Uh, last time I think they did that for um, Pebble was fourth out of 75. Right. It's a tough goal. And I looked at that and anyone would see it and they kind of go, oh, I don't quite get it. But until you actually play it, then you understand actually how tough it is. So we're playing it in not US Open conditions, not even tournament conditions, and we played it on a day where there wasn't a lot of wind. The fairways are not that wide. The rough can actually be quite gnarly. The bunkers in some places are quite deceptively deep. The greens are tricky because, because especially with the power, um, and that was the first time I got to experience what grain was all about in terms of the grass grows towards the water. That's the, ball, the way the ball's going to break. And then the last thing is the greens. They are small. Like they are postage stamps. They're literally small. So then if you think about you bring a US Open to that course, so all of a sudden the net fairways are going to get narrower. The rough's going to get a lot, lot thicker. And then on top of that, the greens are small and they're going to cut them low. So the grain's not going to have much of an impact, but they're going to be slick, but they're going to be small. Mm. So ball striking is going to be still at a premium. And if you think about the people that have won there, they're all good ball strikers. Or on top of that, had an amazing short game. So if you go Jack Nicholas in 72, Tom Watson in 82, and Jack was contending there as well. You know, 92, you had Tom Kite. Then you go 2000 being Tiger, who won by 15 million shots. And then 2010, you had McDowell. But it, in the in in the leaderboard in 2010, you had the likes of Ernie Els, Davis Love, Phil Mickelson, etc. with the McDowell win. So you can see that the that event, that course, it's not purely a bomber's paradise. So it's just going to be one of those ones where this early holes is where they're going to make – that's where you're going to make most of your birdies. But the middle part of the course – So middle part being post seven, I'd imagine. Yep. Yep. Post seven. So if you go eight, nine, ten, the, the last of the water holes, yep. then you go 11, 12, 13, 14 – 
though that stretch of holes there. So they're, they're a little bit of the inland holes. Yep. Yep. So you go them along the water, then you go 11 goes back up the hill. Yep. And then you go, t- and then 12, 13, 14 go back across the back part of the property. Um, <laughs> and the outlook in there is some of the most ridiculous houses you'll ever see on the planet going up the right hand side of those holes, digressing a little bit. I'm just visualizing playing there again. Um, but that stretch of holes is where the tournament, I think will be won and lost because you come off seven, you know, you can come off, you know, a lot of the shorter holes, you might come through there a couple under, you get to eight and eight is this, that, that, that's the first, I call it the punch in the mouth because it's uphill, um, blind tee shot, you're aiming at a rock that's sort of just in the top of the fairway. The fairway runs out at about 2.30 so when we were playing there, we were playing a forward tee. I had nothing more than a three iron. You can't hit anything. There's no woods or drivers because right at the end of the fairway is the ravine. And then from there, you still got a long iron, long shot in downhill to a, to a green on an angle that is probably one of the smallest greens on the course over water and trouble everywhere. And then you add wind. Sounds like a piece of cake. And that's the first hole of the next ones. Yeah. And then you go nine and ten, um, hugging the hugging the water. Um, a lot of slope in the fairways, a lot of trouble left and right, a lot of trouble around the greens. And then what will happen is that players might get through those three holes, and they get to eleven. Eleven's a short one going up the hill, bit of a blind tee shot. And if they actually think that they've got through the the worst of it, they don't come undone on that one very quickly. All right. Um, you miss your tee shot in the wrong spot because it's blind. Then all of a sudden you're hitting out of the rough to a very narrow green on an angle. And if you miss it long, you're dead. You could make five or six there very, very quickly. And then you go 12, the par three to a really small green on an angle. 13 <clears throat> seems like a short par four, but it's just sand everywhere. And then 14, which is the par five. And it's the on the card. It's actually rated the hardest hole on the course. Uh, having played that hole, and after I walked off that hole, I understand why it's the hardest hole on the course. I did really well to make double. It tore me a new one. How did you make double? Uh, you bite off more than you can chew. Right. Drive it in the bunker, get it out, still have a long second, a uh, third shot in. And then instead of just trying to lay it up and then hit a, another fourth shot in and try and make a par at worst bogey, went for it. Yeah, right. You don't go for it on that hole. <laughs> so that that just that stretch of holes, that stretch of seven holes, that is where if you if you can if you can walk out of those stretch of holes even par, I reckon you'll pick up <clears throat> two to three shots on the field. Any other little scary points, you know, that is uh, in the closing holes that uh, – was it the 17th? Is that a – Oh, 17th, that probably won't be as scary as what it was last time they had the US Open there. They had to redesign the green because you couldn't actually land it on there. Yeah, like right. you, you, even if you're dropping it, was though, everything was just bouncing over. Over the back. The, yeah, the yeah only, I right. think the only player that hit the green was because their ball landed in the rough. Right. Short and ran on. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but then even 18, 18's hard because if you've, there's a tree out there and if you're behind that, pfft, wow. do you try and 
ship it over it, hook it around it, hook it out of bounds and around, or do you take it out over the water and then cut it back into the fairway? It seems to catch a lot of players that, you know, it seems fairly straightforward, but, you know, that water all the way down the left there does does catch a few people out. I think it was a Jason Day that made, like, one of the most miraculous par fives there, you know, hit it in the water twice or something like that, you know, like, good and then got it up and down or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, do you remember that? No. No, it was, I think it might have been the Pro-Am uh, at the start of the year, but well, somewhere, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so what else? Anything else about the course that... Um, you want to digest? No, it's just going to be tough. What was your What was your best hole when you played there? Best or fa- when you say best, would you play the best? What did you make a? You know, was there a hole that you made a significant birdie on? You know, well, um, I missed a few parts, and I was I was actually two under through seven, and um, I'd missed a few putts in those first first few holes. Is it? Just to digress on the putts and the power. How much do they say that the power grows between the morning when the, they're freshly cut with the toros or oh. rainbirds? <laughs> How much does it grow? By, you know, the, so this is interesting. You know, for those of you who watch Pebble Beach, the Pro-Am or, or, or the previous Opens, you know, you'll hear them talk about the grass and, and you see them putt and the ball in the slow-mo putting cams, you know, bouncing around and bobbling around. And this power grass, which, you know, a lot of golf courses have in Australia, have power on it and it's more of a pest. Yeah. Just to talk about the, um, you know, the green keeping aspect and the, um, what's that big word used last week about? Agronomy. You know, agronomy. The agronomy aspect. <laughs> the brothers are green keeper, not me, mate. Sorry. Uh, the agronomy aspect. Power is a grass that is a weed, essentially. And here in Australia, greenkeepers spend you know their entire careers trying to keep it out of the greens. Yep. And and you know spray it out, spray it out, and changing greens and losing greens to power. But a number of those courses in the states, you know, the whole green complex is to power. power. Yep. And it's a beautiful surface when it's freshly cut. Yes. And can be you know very slick. Yes. You know, with the grain and you know, obviously down grain and. But it grows. It's a, one of, it's, as a weed does in the sun. It grows millimeters during the day. Yeah, and it's very susceptible to, even in the days of soft spikes, to to spiking up and leaving spike marks. Now that's not going to be as much of an issue now because you can pat them down thanks to the rule changes. But um, it does create a bit of a challenge for the afternoon players. Well, maybe the rule change might actually be. Yeah. It might actually help yeah. on those greens yeah. there. Yeah. Because yeah. um, and. Considering the weather they've had, yep. I don't think they're going to be as concerned about potentially overwatering them mm-hmm. so they don't lose them or anything like that. Because um, if anyone goes back to sees any footage of the '92 U.S. Open, ooh, those greens were rock hard and they were horrible. Right. They were horrible. How Tom Kite won is just—you played awesome, but those greens were terrible. Just on a side note, the way you're watching on the video, you would have seen it, but Rockets just listed off the winners of uh, the US Open at Pebble Beach for the last 40 years without a glance at any notes and uh, and talked about the vision from what year was that? 92. 92. Yeah. Which, which to me, sitting here listening to you, you recall like it was yesterday. It's amazing, <laughs> mate. It's amazing. Really, really, really good. So once again... 
bringing a lot of value. Thank you very much, mate. Um, anything else about Pebble Beach that you want to sort of digest on? Um, no, I, just, I, I still think that and I'll go back to Brooksy when he talks about why it's easier for him to win the majors and he said and he goes through his went through his little soliloquy on what plays he can out. You now all the ones that are the lower ones. So if you think the US Open, mm -hmm. the half the field are comes through qualifying, so the local and sectional qualifying. Then you've got another five or ten that might have got special exemptions. Um, so uh, Jim Furick, um, Ernie and I can't remember who else, someone else got a special exemption for, for this one. Then you've got the other players that have that are exempt, but they're probably not at that top echelon. So really his competition is out of the field of 150, he's got like 30. But then he, I would probably even do go even further, narrow that even further because I already saw the videos of some of the players that, taking, that, taking drops and yeah, dropping a ball in the rough yeah. and going, oh, look at this. Yeah. Like the USGA are living rent free in these players' heads. <laughs> like if you turn up to a golf course and you're complaining about the rough already, gone. Like just pack up. Yeah. Like just give gone. it, just pack up your bags, withdraw, give it to an alternate. Yeah. Because you're already done. Like you already seen the Patrick Cantlay one, which I think is funny because that was on the side of the. I think it was the uh, eighth, might have been the ninth hole. And if they actually didn't have any rough, if his ball went there, would have went in the water. Yeah, and he would have had less of a chance of getting up and down than dropping it in there. Like, can't win. Idiotic. Everyone knows U.S. Open is about narrow fairways, long rough playing a course that they they don't play normally through the whole year. So if you're not mentally going into the game, into that tournament, playing, knowing that it's going to be long, it's going to be arduous, greens are going to be fast, they're going to be hard, rough's going to be high. If you're not already mentally prepared for that, like you you stand on the first tee, you know, the checkered flag is already already waved. already waved before you've even hit your first D shot. Yeah. And especially at that course. Yeah. If you're not going to that course thinking about like being mentally prepared, like it'll rip you apart. So who are gonna be the ones that contend at the end of the week? Brooks. Brooks, DJ. DJ. Um I actually do think Lowry will be. Just I don't know, just it'll be one of those form things. You, do you give my boy G Mac any chance of being up there? Yeah, maybe. Adam. Maybe. Adam so definitely. Uh, any other? So we Pultz, we said. Any other, yeah. What the, about Tesco? Uh, Francesco? Don't know. I reckon him dumping it in the water at the Masters. He hasn't done much since then. I think it's Spethy. Spethy. Maybe, but he's not driving it very well. His short game is. Oh, his short game is is on fire. Mm. But his his driving is horrible. He's hitting it all over the place. JT. No, he's still just coming back from his, yeah, his wrist, wrist injury. Yeah, yeah. J Day. I, I don't know. Maybe if they've got a, you know, mobile chiropractor just roaming the fairways. He's got Stevie on the bag. I was going to say, let's talk about Bagman. There's two two of note. Stevie. Stevie Williams is back on J Day's bag. Can you believe or it? not back on. He's on J Day's bag. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Is, that, is this a comeback Renaissance tour for Stevie? Is he back? Oh, I think so. I think he's. He might be done with the rally cars. I don't know. So I, I don't know. 
Is he back just for – has Jason called him back or what? Do you, what's your mail there? Well, um, he's never catered for Jason before. No, he hasn't. I actually think this is part of – so how I read it, so there's a couple of the obviously Aussie writers almost like uh, how close are they to the, to the Jason Day team. I think they are quite close because mm-hmm. I've seen a few things when – you know, a few of the um, the guys that I follow in the US get stuck into Jason Day about his back and so that they become quite defensive of that. So they must be quite close to the, the day camp. And they kind of alluded to this was part of the, the, the team move to get him back to number one. Mm-hmm. So it must be one of those things where, you know, he's got through a lot of the family issues, right? So they have had, I think they've had number three now. They've right. had some issues before. Um, his mother's health is a lot better. So it might be that resetting, you know, are we going to continue to languish down here or are we just going to move forward? Yep. Um, he couldn't have him Colin on the bag much longer because it's his coach, right? Yeah. That, that that runs its life. And then he's had his two best mates on the bag, but they're his two best mates. Are they the, are they the top, are they the right person to be on the bag, you know, when you're at this yeah. level? So some, the, some, so have, the, some have proven, you know, proven that that works and that, Probably as a long long term strategy, yep. it's it's yep. a, it's a stopgap if best. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and then you you look at someone like Stevie Williams. Is he the right man? Especially for if you think of from a mental standpoint, um, and someone to probably kick Jason in the butt because he probably does need that from time to time. Yeah, he's probably the right man for it. Yeah, and they probably put the call out and yep. just said, "Look, you know, we want the best." Mm. And maybe this is the because the other thing as well that might work in that favour is because because Jason doesn't play a massive amount of tournaments in a year. He's very selective. Um, that might work for what Stevie wants. Stevie wants would probably want a little bit more flexibility to be back at home. Yep. And with a lot of the changes to the schedule, with the moving of the majors pretty condensed now, um, there might be this pocket where he goes. I'm going to do it from here to here. Yep. And then outside of that, you get your mates to to do, to it. do it. So, has Jason won a Pebble Beach Pro Am? Yes, yeah, has. yeah, I thought so. A couple of years ago, yeah. So he's won. He's won there. So he, he can. But he hasn't been in. He hasn't been in great no, form. He hasn't. No, no. Jason, good luck, mate. The the other the other. <laughs> this bumper, Jason. Um, and and the only other person that, and. And this will be the fan favourite and it'll be Lefty because this is his legitimate last chance to to win the US Open. Has he won there before? Nope. No. Oh, he's won there. He's won there like three or three four times. times. Yeah. Yeah. But this is his last legitimate chance to win a US Open. Will he be going two drivers? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think so. He'll he'll be he, he'll be he'll be I expect him to be fielding one driver for his his bombs and his sweet cuts, and at least a three wood in there because he's going to need three wood on on a lot of those holes. I reckon. What wedge setup will he go with? Ah, uh, he'll probably just have the four 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 wedges. I reckon maybe a sixty two, sixty four, or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he might he might go deep on on multiple wedges. Do you know this interesting little side piece here? How the PM grind was conceived. 
the Phil Mickelson PM grind because you know he uses that high toe yeah, yeah, yeah. grooves across the face. Yep. He was actually using uh, a Ping I2 wedge, which was very popular on tour uh, for a number with a number of players a while ago. Oh, that's what he used all the way back in college. Correct. Because it had the high toe. So when he laid it flat to play the, you know, those flops. Phil, Phil flops, he, he believed that the high toe allowed him access to grooves as far up the toe as he could possibly uh, when he slid the ball under. Gotcha. Now, obviously, the, the, the guys at Callaway have gone, mate, what's going on? Um, Roger Cleveland, what's going on? Uh, you're not using our wedges. And he said, I need something when I lay it open where I feel like I've got grooves all the way up the face. So Roger Cleveland said, well, how about I try and make you something? Roger's taken two, uh, I think it was Mac Daddy 2s at the time, back to his workshop in LA, cut them, ground them, welded the, basically cut two in half and <laughs> stuck another bit on the top of it to make the toe, ground it down and took that back to Phil, drew on pencil, you know, texted in some um, groove lines on the top part and said, would you use this? He played it, said, yeah. And then went to, um, so then Roger went to the guys at Callaway and says, you know, this is what Phil wants. Make it. Let's make it. I'm lucky enough to know that because Roger Cleveland himself told me that story when we when I played with him at uh, Kingston Heath, and that was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had playing golf. And I'm not name dropping, but it was it was good. And every time I think about those wedges, I think about uh, Roger Cleveland telling me that story. So uh, Cleveland Classic wedges can't beat him. He was the he was the founder of the of the contemporary. Uh, you know, like Ping and the answer putter, you know. We all That's what I've had in my bag forever. We all owe, you know, Scotty Cameron owes old, a lot to. The old yeah. TA-588s. Exactly. Mr. Cleveland, he was the founder of the current wedge, I believe. So um, other bagmen, just on that. And we mentioned uh, our mate from PK, Marcus Fraser. The phrase. Getting a uh, last-minute qualification spot in the US Open. So good luck to you, Fraser. Ro- rooting for you, barracking for you. But is BJ on the bag for Fraze? Yes, another member and an Essendon man. So BJ, BJ Goddard, Brendan Goddard, um, former St Kilda and Essendon uh, legend, also Peninsula Kingswood member. Saw BJ down at the club last Wednesday, played in the group uh, behind us, toting his little black black on black Mackenzie bag, <laughs> and uh, and he's obviously just jetted off to um to the US to catch up with Fraze and, and carry the bag. Well, I think it was part of the, I think it was part of their like little handshake thing. He if said, you, if, if you, you make qualify. if you make the U.S. Open, I'm in. I'm carrying your bag. Well, good luck to both of you guys. Um, we wish you all the best, BJ. I hope you're on top of your game for phrase, and uh, don't mess the numbers up, mate. Yeah, make sure there's 14. <laughs> don't need to do a woozy. Oh dear. <laughs> so, mate, I think uh, I think we've given. Who we think uh, is going to be up there? We've talked about the holes, the holes that you think from your own experience, having been there and been the only one of the two of us and one of the only people that I know that's played at Pebble. Given the fans a bit of uh, insight into that, bit of banter. Anything else, mate? Um, There's always something else. Oh, I just think it's going to be. I'm just really looking forward to it because I'll, you know, Brooksy to get a three-peat. So money's on Brooks? Absolutely. You've got in there first. It's hard for me to go past it. I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to say Adam Scott. I was going to let you go top, top Aussie first, Nick. So is that well, going to be then right. your top? I'm going to go Adam Scott, top Aussie, and Adam Scott for a win. Oh, double down. That's double long, down. That's a long, long, long shot. But Adam, Adam's looking good. <laughs> I was listening to uh, one of my other podcasts that I listened to, the guys at um, Playing Out Sideways, which is a very small little podcast generating out of Ayrshire in Scotland. Guys in there are very funny. If you like a bit of Scottish humour and banter, you have to listen to those guys. But they were telling me that their wives hadn't shown any interest in playing golf until they saw Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a, he's a, he looks all he's right. A who's, very attractive who's man. Who's that? <laughs> so Adam Scott has... Um, we need to see more of Adam on the TV because he does he does give us a, a lot of uh, a lot of excitement and his putter. Who knows? That's a lottery in itself. But uh, I I actually think this is the greens on the course. They will probably suit him because they won't be too fast. Yeah, and and they'll be not pure enough. So then, in his head, it should be it's okay. It's the greens' yeah, fault, yeah. All right? Not not his fault. And 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 because the greens are small, he's not going to have to try and hit it inside six feet all the time. And if he hits, if you hit the middle of the green on this course, yeah, you're going to have inside twenty feet yeah. all day long. That's what I reckon with his ball striking and his his uh, fairway play at the moment. It's just second to none. So, Adam, good luck to you. Uh, top European. I'm still going to go with my Irish boy Shane Lowry. I still can't wait for the day that he uh, rocks back into, um, I think he's from Afali over there in Ireland and shouts the whole bloody town Guinness for a week, I reckon. <laughs> That's what he'd do. Go on you, Shane. Uh, I'll go with, I haven't got my top Aussie yet. Um, I'll Poltz on top European. Oh, I'd love to see that. He'd shout Woburn. He would, <laughs> he would, he would shout Woburn for a week as well. Uh, maybe, Poltz, maybe not Guinness. Uh, top, because um, you've already got Adam. Oh, I'm going to go for the home home course heroes, Fraser and BJ show, okay. top Aussies. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. What about a Smokey? Smokey, 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 Smokey. Um, or a rank outside. Adam Hadwin. Adam Hadwin. <laughs> the hoverboard. I'm going to call him the hoverboard. Why the hoverboard? You didn't see the footage. Uh, no. So <laughs> they were showing a practice round. Um, before the final round of the Canadian Open and he was obviously trying to do something with like balancing and he looked like he was on a hoverboard. So okay. I'm just going to call him Hoverboard Hadwin. I saw him chipping. I saw him doing some chipping practice and he was really trying to get onto his left side and uh, so maybe that was it. I don't know. But uh, No, you're standing on the range like trying to hit balls on this thing like a hoverboard. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck to you, Adam. Um, my outsider. Mmm... Because it's his, he's one of my favourites and it's his last absolute chance, lefty. Lefty. I tell you what, there'd be nothing better than lefty raising the trophy at Pebble Beach. It would be absolutely amazing. More amazing than this fellow? Uh, do you know what? Tiger's comeback is on its own. Lefty being able to put a – this is like that that last exclamation point on his career. You think about the 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 dumb things that he's done to lose US Opens and also the the things that have gone against him in US Opens, he's had it all. Like there is nothing left in the bank. He's given it all and for him to be able to walk if he was able to walk up 18 knowing that he's got 
two putts to win the US Open and he can stroke it up there and then roll one in, oh, I'd be jumping around in my lounge room like no okay. one else. Like no one else. All right, mate. Well, once again, another classic episode and a lot of information from you. Really appreciate your time. Let's go over there and hit a few uh, balls on the uh, Pebble Beach links that we've got set up over it's there. It's going to be tough. And uh, get you back in the game. Not played since March. So um, thanks, mate. Thank you. Welcome to the live world of video. <laughs> it's all fun. Let's do your hair next time, will you? <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> all right. Thank you, mate. Thank Appreciate you. It.